0: The Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition
1: of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. This fall and winter are shaping up to be an incredible time to be a sports fan, and there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic, home to incredible storytelling, relentless reporting, and insightful analyzations. The Athletic delivers everything you need on every sport and every sports story that matters. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of ad-free content every day, every morning when you wake up. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year subscription today. Kenny Rosenthal's got a great piece on The Athletic this morning about the Mets and the finalized new ownership of Steve Cohen, the axing of the front office immediately after that, and what's, what's going to happen next. And we're going to expand on that probably l- later this week on the Track podcast about what the Mets have done in terms of spending, where they might be going, and what should be next. I already have a couple of big names linked to that organization, so that's going to be an interesting watch this winter. Again, visit theathletic.com slash spot track. My name is Mike Ginetti. Happy Monday morning. We're going to bounce around the sports world yet again, bringing Scott Allen to talk about the, a couple of those smaller sports that have some really interesting storylines to get to. But I'm going to start with the NFL. We had a situation last week where Bill Belichick but kind of came to the forefront and said, hey, we're not good. And you know, this is kind of why. And the reason he gave was salary cap implications and cash spending. And I immediately raised my eyebrows because being so closely tied to both of those elements in the NFL, I just didn't, I have never put the Patriots in a situation where I've said, hey man, they're really all in financially right now. So I went back and looked, I went back and looked at the numbers. And because quite frankly, I have gotten in front of a microphone, you know, before the seasons, August, September, and then midway through and said, you know, you've heard me say it. If you've listened to the show, the good, the Super Bowl teams, you know, the teams that are contending generally aren't way up the ladder financially or way down at the bottom, you know, near the ground financially, they're right in that middle sweet spot. You know, if you can kind of hold your own, if you're balanced in terms of your offense defense, if you're balanced in terms of your you know, not overspending for your active roster, obviously not overspending with dead cap in any particular year. And then obviously if your injured reserve isn't a disaster zone, you're gonna be with it right there. That's kind of the sweet spot to be in. And the Patriots have generally been there. Tom Brady was a fifteenth or sixteenth ranked paid quarterback. You know, the wide receiver arsenal was right about there. Generally they they would float up a little bit in tight ends during Gronk's era because they had to. You know, they'd float up a little bit with running backs because they put they brought in four or five good paid running backs, never one great paid running back. And they did the same with a little bit of an uptick in their secondary because they wanted to keep a couple of veterans around. And they brought in a splash with Stefan Gilmer, which was against the grain for them. But you can understand why they did it. And it certainly had had its benefits. So when Bill Belichick gets in front of a microphone and says, you know, we needed a year to purge. I'm just not buying it. (laughs) Sorry. I'm just not buying it. All right. I think he's a hell of a coach. I think he's an OK GM. I think he's a terrible drafter. Um, And I don't think anybody would disagree with that, especially people around the organization that, you know, just they know. They know what they've had to deal with in terms of weapons and and things that they've had to piece together in the middle of seasons or, you know, prior to. Brandon Cook's trade was late. The Randy Moss move was late. Mohamed Sanu last year was in the middle at the deadline. They've, They've been doing this time after time again, trying to bring in something, some kind of reinforcement to give Brady a better chance to get to the finish line. You know, that's not the sign of a good drafter. That's not the sign of somebody who every three years can bring in a third round running back that can go. Every three years can bring in a first or second round pick. Now, granted, it's pick 30 and pick 60, but even so, we've seen plenty of good wide receivers come out of that second round, late second round, and there just hasn't been one to hit the Patriots. You know, Edelman's been the guy for forever. So that's where they are. You know, they haven't brought in a top free agent. Outside of Stephon Gilmore, they just haven't. Their left tackles walk. Their linebackers walk. You know, Calvin Noye is blossoming for the Miami Dolphins right now. A team that's that's on the uptick for sure. Uh, you know, they don't they don't care about prominent position. Jimmy Garoppolo got traded for a second round pick. You know, that's the quarterback position has moved. Their left tackles have moved. Trent Brown, you know, signed a gigantic contract away from the Patriots to join the Raiders. I mentioned Van Noy. There's a million more defensive players. So, look, that's just not their MO. Signing big free agent or even internal extensions is not their MO. So, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying the fact that they were up against it, you know, that, that Robert Kraft came down to Belichick and said, hey, you've got to cut 40% of your payroll. You know, we, we're giving you a brand new ceiling. You've got to bring it down. And if your cap's got to come down with it, uh, fine, you know? BS. And oh, by the way, I'm also not blaming the Patriots because I've got numbers in front of me to say, hey, it's not their year and that's just fine. So why Belichick decided to take the approach he did, you know, why, first of all, why, why say anything? You've never said anything ever. And all of a sudden in 2020, you're, you're beaming about Cam Newton publicly. And now you're publicly saying, Hey, we stink. And this is why that's just not Belichickian. So uh, here's the numbers. This is what I want to do today quickly. We we've talked dead cat before, um, there's just no getting around the fact that having a lot of dead cap hurts your current roster. It does. It, it it hurts you before the season, obviously in free agency and the draft. It hurts you later in the summer when there are cap casualties or some veterans that get moved that become crucial pickups, cheap minimum, minimum signings. It hurts you in the middle of the season. If you want to you know, acquire that player to, to, to push you to the finish line and, and you're low on cap, it hurts, you know, Generally speaking, if you're up top six, seven, eight ish in dead cap, you're not a contender. And we have two teams there right now, maybe three. I'm, I'm going to say three that I think can actually compete, at least in the postseason, probably not for a Super Bowl. But here's your dead cap rankings right now. I pulled it last night. Carolina's one, not a contender, but actually a pretty good team. Jacksonville's two, obviously not a contender. The Jets, three. Obviously not a football team this year. The Rams are four, and we knew that was coming. The Rams, we had Jordan Rodriguez on from, from the Athletic you know, a couple of months ago to break down the Rams situation because they had just shed Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks and Clay Matthews. You know, they, that's where the dead cap comes from here. It's big, but it's very centralized to these big veterans that they had to get rid of. Then they brought back and signed Cooper Cup, signed Robert Woods, signed Jalen Ramsey. You know, they already had a couple of big contracts on there, of course, with Goff to, to start. So, yes, they, sh- they they shed some some contracts and, and acquired some dead cap because of it. But as Jordan and I kind of talked about, this is still a pretty darn good team. And guess what? They're still a pretty darn good team. And, you know, they're aligned with the Bills right now in terms of Super Bowl favorites, Super Bowl contention, about 20 to 1. They're not out. So this is a team that could be fourth in dead cap and get to the finish line. The Dolphins are fifth, similarly, right? I mean, they, they moved on a couple of veterans that they just didn't feel like were a fit going forward in Brian Flores' system and obviously got themselves a younger quarterback. So they're winning. I mean, I mean, they're winning some games that people didn't even have them in the conversation for. They're second in the AFC East. They're right there with Buffalo about a game and a half back. They're going to win some more ball games here, too. So they're 5th, 4th and 5th, playoff contenders, 4th and 5th and dead cap. The Vikings should be playoff contenders, and they're starting to turn the corner a little bit now that Delvin Cook is healthy and just demolishing teams. But obviously, you know, you trade stuff on Diggs, you move on from a couple of players there. You know, you punt on, jeez, Yannick Ngakwe, you know, at the deadline for just a ridiculous amount of, of signing bonus plus salary, There's dead cap that's sitting there. So that added up quickly. And similar with Tennessee, who's seventh. There's your other contender right there. Seventh in dead cap has a chance to get themselves back up to the AFC East, or excuse me, in the AFC, but it doesn't look good. And the Patriots are eighth, okay? Top 10, eighth in dead cap, uh, you know, not easily. It's not like they, you know, released players out of of current major contracts. So it's hard for them to have $26.5 million of dead cap. Um, but here they are. Here they are with some dead cap, eighth in the league. To me, that's not the issue. $26 million of dead cap and a, and a salary cap that's upwards of uh, $200 million shouldn't be, be any kind of damaging to you. It just shouldn't be. You know, it, it means there's a couple of swing and misses, maybe on some rookie contracts and a couple of veterans. Maybe you made a trade or two that you had to, you had to eat some signing bonus dead cap. That's nothing. I mean, that's absolutely nothing. That's not even a sal- one salary of a quarterback. In the league right now, so they're eighth, but it's not crazy. But where it does get crazy is when you include dead cap and opt out information, and that's what's unique about this year, and that's what has to put New England in a different conversation, because while it's not dead cap, right, the the, the cap for opt out players just pushed to 2021. So in essence, it actually saved salary cap space for 2020. It cleared it. It told it to next season and obviously every team's going to have to figure out what to do with their opt-out money at that point. You know, they're players that seemingly are going to be back on the books, and what do you do with them once March whatever hits and the league year starts? We'll see. But just opt-out cap alone, Players that opted out, and these were their combined salary caps for the 2020 season before they did so. It's not even close. The Patriots have $34 million of, of, of cap hits that were supposed to be on this roster or at least had a chance to be on this roster and opted out and told that to next year. So different from dead cap because it actually cleared cap space for them. But those are legitimate players. And that's the point to make here. They have legitimate opt outs, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And oh, by the way, you know, a pretty good offensive lineman as well, but certainly defensively. That's why they're not winning these games, especially games they're in. I mean, Cam had that team in on Buffalo, even though Cam wasn't doing anything much about it. But if that, if that defense is in its entirety, I'm not sure the Buffalo Bills survived that game. And, and now we're talking about a New England team that has three wins and is back in the conversation for the AFC East, and we're not. We're, we're not. $34 million of opted-out cap hits. So you add those two together, the dead cap plus that, right, that's $60 million. The next closest team is the Jets. And the Jets are the Jets. I mean, the Jets are legitimately bad. Yes, they had CJ Mosley opt out. Yes, they'd be more competitive with Mosley in there. But the Jets are the Jets. I mean, the Jets are the team that traded Jamal Adams, you know, at the blink of an eye and at least took calls on Quinn and Williams, their other top player right now. So, you know, that's a team that's all the way down at the bottom. So if you're putting dead cap plus opt out cap, and you're, and you're seeing Patriots and Jets on the top of this list kind of a lot, by a lot, 60 million plus. Just two different conversations, okay? Those are two different conversations. One of those teams, the Jets is going to rip it all the way down, I would imagine. Okay? If you think Sam Donald's coming back, I'd say it's less than 50%. I think there's a better chance he's traded to a team like San Francisco or some of these teams that are trying to at least piece some things together. Um, We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. But I'm giving the Patriots kind of a pass here, understandably. You know, the Cam thing's not working out like they wanted it to. It should have been the best value in football. I think there, were, there was a three, four-week stretch there where it absolutely was. But his injuries, his COVID, they're here. It's, it's a part of his game. Now, he's got plenty of time to bounce back, and so does his entire team. But the opt-outs matter the most. It has nothing to do with the fact that they overspent. All right? I've got the cash spending right here. Here's what we're going to look at. 2020 cash spending. So whatever Bill Belichick is referring to, it ain't this year. I'm going to tell you that right now because they're dead last. They're $151.5 million. That is 32nd in football in terms of cash spending this year. Now, a lot of that is the opt-outs. A lot of it is the players that I just mentioned who aren't here, who aren't being paid. Fine. But they weren't top 10 before Dante Hightower and Marcus Cannon opted out. Not even close. Not even close. So, you know, 2020, yes, they've fluctuated. They've had some years where cash spending was 11th, you know, ninth one year. But there's been plenty more years where they're 20th, 27th, 32nd this year. And if we look towards next year, when those players do come back and, you know, there really isn't a quarterback on the roster, the Patriots are projected to 31st right now. Only the Jets, who have nobody on their team, have $82 projected for next year. The Patriots are 88, all right? Just to give you the glimpse, the Saints have 206 million cash set in for 2021 currently projected, right? That's a 100, That's 112 million more than the Patriots have laid out right now. So it's not cash. The Patriots are not cap, cash strapped. They're not cap strapped. Now they operated cap strapped a couple times. When they had to sign a quarterback in cam, they got themselves right up against it, didn't they? Before they officially took hightower off the list or officially took a couple of players down that they that they knew they were gonna to have to release anyway. They did the same thing when Gronk had to be traded. They didn't want Gronk back. And they didn't want his ten million dollar cap hit either. They couldn't even afford to activate him off of the reserve retired list because they at at that point they couldn't handle his cap hit. And they used that as some leverage got them out of town, got themselves a good, a decent draft pick, which, you know, who knows if they'll screw that one up too. They have their deficiencies. They're they're still a good organization. Belichick is still a hell of a coach. That's why that team was even involved in that Buffalo game last week. It's because because he knows Buffalo as good as anybody, maybe more than Buffalo knows Buffalo. So give the guy credit. I'm not knocking him for, you know, the the, the majority of his career here for sure. But this statement was reckless, okay, and it was just classic – Business bills, trying to get some, not sympathy, just trying to make sure that people think that they're doing everything they can do financially so that when it comes time to pay somebody, they have the leverage to say, if you're going to be a Patriot, you're not going to make top dollar. You're not even going to make a top third. It's going to be right about 15th or 14th. That's where they love to live with these players. That's why Stefan Gilmore is gone. And they definitely tried to trade him with a deadline and they're definitely going to trade him in March. No question. No question. Because he won't be signing the extension he wants in New England, and New England won't even be offering that extension. If if the quarterback pay is twenty million now, what Jalen, Jalen Ramsey has done, even if Stefan Gilmore in his down year isn't gonna get to that that level on his third contract, it's gonna be seventeen. It's gonna be eighteen, it's gonna be Tredavious White money. You know, it's gonna be that to that degree. So it's not happening. So you can't tell me you're cash strapped, cap strapped, but never have a major contract to show for it. And they don't. They just don't, they don't want, and good for them because they have used winning and coaching and, you know, a, a dynasty and aura an atmosphere to leverage their own contracts down to, to be able to say, Hey, you got to live in this range or you can't be a Patriot. Most guys have said, yes, I'm, I'll do it. I'll take the pay cut, but we'll see what happens after a down 2020 year. But listen, it's the opt outs. It's the opt outs. Okay. They didn't do much in free agency. They had a terrible draft. Again, a couple of tight end busts, like literal busts. Who, who knows what's happening with Sonny Michel? Who's, who knows what's happening with the kill Harry? At some point in time, they're going to have to turn over and become the Browns, a team that just goes all in in the offseason. And I'm here to tell you, it could be March. They could be acquiring three, four players via trade. Maybe they, you know, don't draft. <laughs> don't use the draft picks. Bring in some real players instead of trying to take your luck in the draft again. It hasn't worked, New England. Bring in some real players off of teams like Philly and New Orleans and Houston who can't even afford their own cap for 2021 right now. You know, Good teams with good players who are going to have to shed. Bring in some players off that roster. Maybe Cleveland wants to purge a couple of those players. Maybe I, I, we're all going to hear you know, about Beckham Jr. being available. Go get him, New England. Go get him if that's the case. You know, Derek Carr maybe traded or released out of Vegas. If although he's had a good season, go get yourself a quarterback. If that's the case, you know, because you're probably not going to be top ten in this draft. Maybe you are, but I wouldn't imagine it. Go go work the trade markets and then spend some money. You know, spend some money in in the positions that matter the most. They certainly know how to do this. They don't need to listen to me. But just be aware that this could be. Even though Belichick just said. You know, they have continually spent up against it and they needed a purge. To me, that says, all right, I'm BSing that. But it could mean we're purging for a reason, and that reason is March. And March could be fun and exciting and a new leaf in New England in terms of spending and acquisition of players. All right, let's bring in Scott Allen and go around the sports world a little bit. Joining the Hit Parade Hotline by Scott Allen. Happy Monday. You are near the D.C. area, another... <laughs> ugly situation in DC in terms of the quarterback position. I didn't watch. I have not yet watched. I saw Twitter blow up. I saw you write something to me and I said I'm going to keep it where it is because I've seen obviously the Alex Smith documentary and the Dak Prescott injury both this year. I'm done with those. So, <laughs> lay it out yeah. for me, Scott. What's uh Obviously he's done for the year. I assume it's broken. Yeah, I just saw uh, Is it uh, Dak situation this morning? Is it exactly Dak's basically? <laughs>
0: I don't know the specifics I saw this morning that he went into surgery um it was nasty it was the same kind of thing where it broke and it flopped and it looked like it was backwards and it was it was gruesome I don't think from what I saw that there was bone outside the skin or anything like that but <laughs> you know it it it, it God awful. I feel it's, it's, so it's, bad. It's horrible. It's horrible. It is. All right. So and, Ellis Smith is
1: in, is he the guy now, or is he not in a position to be like an eight week starter here? I mean, what's the, what's the sense down there?
0: Um, f- from what I watched, he looked pretty good. He was accurate. He had a couple, I think he had an interception um, that was kind of an ugly interception that he, he was frustrated with himself at. Um, but I mean, I think he's viable. Um, I would not be surprised if they move forward with him being the starter uh, based on what he did and the, and the comeback that he, he he did with the with the Washington football team. there, uh, bringing them back to within three um, outside of that. I mean, the, the, the Washington team was was uh, a shell of themselves and the Giants were all over them. And then that that injury happened and Alex Smith came in and was able to bring him back. So, you know, it, it, it's horrible to have that happen, you know, and it was in RFK Stadium where Alex Smith's injury happened. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if the, the, the talk of the town today and, and for the week is going to be, is that field kind of cursed now with these gruesome quarterback injuries that have happened there or not. Um, but. Uh, they're they're just going to have to move forward here. I got to look at this schedule. So the WFT
1: has Detroit, Cincy, Dallas, Pittsburgh, San Francisco, Seattle, Carolina, and Philly.
0: Hmm. Wow! Like six Big of those games of... are winnable. Yes, they
1: are. So my, I was originally going to st- st- step in here and say, you know, you play Haskins, you see what what exactly what you have for a uh, another half season. If you're going to trade him, then you're showcasing him for a trade piece. He's already fully guaranteed. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's just, you know, that's the safer bet in terms of him or Alex Smith, especially financially speaking. But (laughs) they're one game out of first still, and and there's six winnable games in their schedule. So I I, and a lot are in their division. That's what I mean.
0: That could tip the scales right there.
1: Yeah. Dallas, Dallas, Philly. Actually, actually, that's it. They're pretty much they're pretty out of division here. But you play Alex Smith. You try to win six out of eight here, I think. And then sneak into the postseason with this ridiculous 2020 season. I, I, I guess you're in. I, I'm not crossing them off. Are you?
0: No, not at all. The running that back looks really
1: good. McLaurin's a great receiver. Oh,
0: he is awesome.
1: They've got holes. But, you know, is, if, is Chase Young healthy? Is he playing well? I think so.
0: <laughs> I, I haven't watched <laughs> you watch.
1: Team. I love it. I, I love it. <laughs> I watch the bills (laughs) and
0: then I get, then I get the notifications that there's an injury. So I flip it over to check it out. You know, now I I, look with that schedule, you got to take them somewhat seriously. Absolutely. Especially with the the way that division is. I mean, that could be a six win team that wins that division with the way things are. And and, and then they're in the playoffs. So anything is, is feasible in, in that division. So you, you've got to push forward and, win as many games as possible, especially with some of those young kids that you have on that that roster. Um, Yeah, you got to go for it.
1: Yeah, I don't see why not. So uh, it's Alex Smith's team. That's kind of neat in in some way, but boy, it's it's an ugly way to get there. That's for sure. And Alex Smith knows firsthand what that's all about. So it's just kind of freaky how that all came together. All right, let's switch gears. We're going to bounce around with you again this week just because there's really a lot going on. That's up there in the scales. We're not even get to the Mets, which <laughs> I was kind of open to have a whole, like a half Mets show today because obviously yeah. a new ownership, they fire the front office. Uh, you know, there's some, there's at least some rumors about bringing in a couple of really big time players and spending some cash, something the Mets really haven't done since Beltran, honestly, since Beltran. So I, uh, we'll get there. Maybe we'll bring in Hembo, our baseball buddy and, and spin some numbers in terms of what the Mets have done spending wise and where they could go um you know anytime i get a chance to do that and it's actually relevant and interesting we'll get there but not today let's start with the nba there is something official finally we've been sp- spouting out some estimates and projections they're gonna go december 22nd what's it gonna look like
0: yeah it sounds like december 22nd 72 game schedule was approved and now it's all about cba and negotiations, which. Um, deadline was Friday as we talked about, but they moved it back again to today. So there might be some things that drop here today unless they, but they, they have to, um, they gotta, they gotta work on lightning speed right now, as we talked about, because the days are ticking away and, uh, they need to figure out, uh, when the moratorium can be lifted and trades can happen because right now everything's on freeze. Um, and based on what has come out, it sounds like the, the initial negotiation is that it's going to be a cap similar to what it was uh, this past season at the 109 with a 132 uh, luxury tax threshold. And from there, they're just going to artificially rise the cap at least uh, at 2% each year throughout the remainder of the season. Including CPA.
1: this year, or are they going to stay
0: neutral this year? neutral this year right. and then a minimum of 2% each of the uh, subsequent years in the hopes that maybe they might be able to rise it more if revenue comes in or wherever the the metrics is going to point things. But it sounds like it's going to be at least a 2% uh, increase, which we've already updated our site accordingly. So, All the cap hits and all that reflect accordingly to that 2%. And then the escrow, it sounds like they're going to keep, instead of a 10% escrow, it's going to be between 17 and 18, maybe upwards of 20% this year and next year. And then there are hopes to get back to 10% escrow back in 2022. All right, I want to get your thought Um, on
1: this, because there's some, I'm just kind of reading through Boj's Twitter feed here to catch up uh, to some degree. The discussion about free agency and the draft is really interesting. And it's something we've talked about in other sports a lot, Scott, and maybe even with the NBA as well. But because everything's so smashed together here, teams have to basically operate two at one. Correct. You've, you've got to operate a draft and, r- war room and, and a free agent war room literally simultaneously. And all of that is without really confirmation on how the finances are going to work. You know, and it we,
0: sounds like. It sounds like in the back end uh, from the, some guys that I've been listening to, free agency is sort of already happening where agents and teams are sort of behind the scenes saying who's available, who's not, what, you know, way in the back because they know how fast this stuff is going to go.
1: So it sounds like they tried to get free agency before the draft. That's what Woj has been it. saying here, that teams really push yeah. for it, probably because it's already happening, like you're saying. So let's just make it official. But also, you know, they want to be able to kind of get the card before the horse, figure out their roster before they get to the draft, which is something they're they're usually not privy to. Draft's usually yeah. June. July 1st is the free agents to start, right? So this would be completely backwards thinking. But also, is it is it better?
0: Well, I was going to say, you know
1: which sports we've, do this Scott heard football does this
0: football does this
1: um when is the hockey hockey's in June hockey doesn't do hockey's this
0: in June hockey's and in June baseball June, does so their
1: draft we, in the middle of the damn season um right.
0: I, and we they've had conversations of potentially doing this I know you know there's been a few teams who have been outspoken about having it flip-flop this may be a way for them to Test run if it works in a way where they do the free agency first and then have the draft. I mean, it sort of makes sense in a way. It does to get a ton, and then then you can fill your your roster based on those draft picks that you have. Um, well, that
1: was Woj's response, Scott. Is that the, the NBA is going to push back because teams will take advantage of of the knowledge of the of their cap situation with draft moves? Right. Is that right. a negative? <laughs> why Why oh. is that a pushback? So you mean your teams can act smarter and more responsibly and there'd be more draft movement. What are we, what are we, what's the negative here?
0: Yeah. More draft movement. You have teams that are going to be tight on, on money and cap hit like right. the golden state warriors that we talked about. Let, let them facilitate these trades now, as opposed to, you know, a right, deadline I'm draft and then have to, to, to have free agency the day after and then process everything. Just, make it easier on the team at this point.
1: So it also sounds like the trade moratorium could open up this week. Is that possible?
0: Yeah, it could. Yeah. So yeah. you're going to
1: allow trades. Well, then me, you're going to have a draft it. and then you're going to have free agency. I don't know, but the trades wouldn't be official, right? Is that what you're going to tell me?
0: Correct. But,
1: trades but would not be but official. stop it. Then just let I this know. be a signing moratorium too. Let Gordon Hayward opt out and go sign wherever the hell he's going to go back to you, whatever he's going to do. I mean, I, I hate this. <laughs> I hate this. This might be the worst part of the NBA. They do a hell of a lot right, but this is this is garbage. This secretive behind the scenes. We got to keep everything well, close here. to the vest. Just let this thing go. You got four weeks until we're playing basketball here.
0: Well, and, and it may be that there is no moratorium for signing. It may just be. here's the the drop start date and you're signing free agents on this day and there's not a buffer that they have originally had. The moratorium that we're talking about with the trades is is there has been a lock and key on any transactions whatsoever. So play teams can't even wave players. Yeah, they the can't bubble locked them. it out,
1: right? It was basically a they, freeze. They, they, they've, been, yeah.
0: they've been completely locked out for this entire time. So they can't facilitate any movement whatsoever. And that's what we're talking about. The moratorium with movement as far as that aspect. Right. So if but Golden State with- wants
1: to trade that number two pick, it's gonna start to happen this week, right?
0: Cor- okay, correct. okay. Yep. Which subsequently, if any players are in that um, in that in those trades, they wouldn't be official until the league year becomes official and yada, yada. So I I would be for just making a hard. Here's the day we're signing free agents. And because, I mean, it's November 9th now, we've got uh, (laughs) nine days until the draft. So if they can come back and say sign sign and trades and all those this week i mean you still have seven days the teams if they're not ready for the draft at this point i mean you've had
1: because also we went through this last year we talked about it before timing's everything especially especially with these teams being right up against cap or a little bit over you know some teams want to operate over some teams want to get under so they can actually make a real signing and on december 1st it, 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 trades will be extremely important this year to teams who are trying to fill a hole or or upgrade or something like that because, you know, you, you got to get one done and then the league year's got to start and then you got to make three waves or, or dump some guaranteed contracts just to be able to fit well, guys in. It, it's a really fine line, right?
0: Very fine line. And timing is everything. But what we know this year, at least as of right now, that we don't usually know is what the cap is going to be, and the fact that they've come out and said the cap is going to rise at least a minimum of two percent right. for the remaining. They can budget they, now. Teams teams can budget three years out. It's a good knowing point. Knowing what it is, and I I have a question for you in a second once we transition off this about um, this in baseball, hmm. but the Don't fact get that me going, Scott. The, the fact that they know the cap already means that they can start the league year. Right away, yeah. whereas usually they're trying to crunch the numbers up until June 30th, then they release their numbers on June 30th and July 1st, and that's why they have their moratorium in there because they're they were usually waiting for those numbers to be crunched. But it's in the last few years it's been so accurate that they can release them and teams know how to spend and what their um, what the exceptions are going to be. We already know what all that information for the most part is going to be going into this. So it, it's more of a negotiation of, um, you know, guaranteed dates that we talked about, the trade exception, all these deadlines that have already passed that they need to shift forward. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see what some of those negotiations are, whether it comes out today or if they have to push back that deadline and they they, they come out and say when this, this hard deadline is going to be.
1: So the 2% increase is markedly smaller than normal for the NBA, but it's, it's certainly cautious. Is this, mm-hmm. last question, is this a reactionary move to what happened in 2016? The salary cap jumped $24 <laughs> million dollars from I 2015 so. to 2016, and it has gone $15 million since, literally. Yeah. 24 million one year and it's been up fifteen million since then. And it's not going anywhere this year, and it won't go up more than eight million over the next three. I mean that's that's sort of where we are now. So they're regretting that mo- They're regretting the move, right? I mean, was the Golden State Warriors dynasty worth it to the NBA? I that's an honest question because that's what we got here. We got we got a Kevin Durant move because every team got a ridiculous amount of cap space freed up because the league decided to balloon the salary cap. Kevin Durant goes to Golden State and they, they're able to compete, you know, for three, four now more more years later. They got a dynasty out of it. Was that worth it? Or do they regret this wholeheartedly right now?
0: I don't know. I remember back when the spike happened and, and Durant went there and everyone was saying, oh, they should have cap smoothed instead of having everything yeah. all in one one year. Um, maybe they are maybe they are. And the fact that if, if they would have capped smooth, we wouldn't have been as high and it wouldn't affect as much. And, you know, we may not have salaries that have jumped up as fast as they would have, if they would have smoothed it out. Um, So maybe, but on the flip side, like you said, you got the golden state warrior dynasty. You've had them in the finals. You've had, you know, we've had all these different stories against LeBron and, um, we've had more movement of, sure. of players, so I think it is what it is. Hindsight's always 2020, but to flip this back on you, it sort of transitions to my question that I had for you. I know in baseball they project out what their mm-hmm. compen- um, compensatory balance, um, luxury tax balance, is going to be years in advance. Do you think? with the NBA being able to just say we're going to do a 2% rise at minimum Mm -hmm. or if football did something similar where you had at least an artificial cap that you knew outside of projection saying this is what it will be unless we make more and then it may go up. Do you think that's advantageous to leagues to do, especially with the pandemic that we've had? We may have them again, who knows, but do you think leagues should look at Doing a it's, a... it's a good
1: question. I, I was actually thinking of something similar on a basketball line while you were talking, but the, if you're asking about baseball, I'd say I wonder if they regret it because okay. they're going backwards financially right now. There's no mm-hmm. question. I mean, certainly they were, they were able to hold the line, but you know the lack of fans, the lack of gate, the lack of concessions and all that is just destroying baseball right now. So it's going to be another tough year for them. I'm not sure they can hold up to where their projections are for the CBT and things like that you know, also there's, (laughs) there's an expiring CBA in 18 months here. So, uh, you know, I'm not too worried about what currently exists because they're going to rip everything up and it's going to be an ugly back and forth. And this is going to be a part of it now. You know, the, the the pandemic, this two year span is going to affect the way they negotiate this next CBA. There's no question about it. So baseball might be on its own Island because they have, they are afforded the ability to have the negotiations happening right now. This is just part of it. So I'm going to keep them where they are. Where I was going to go with basketball is, you're right, this is this is unprecedented that they've laid out a three-year plan. Is this the reason? Do they need to do that to give players and agents peace of mind when they go to the negotiating table here? Because you're not signing a max contract unless you know where the cap's going in three years. Because if they if they think the cap's going to drop next year, if there's an unknown with the 2021 cap or the 2022 cap, Who's signing a long-term contract? Who's signing any kind of cap percentage-based contract? Nobody. Nobody. So now there's at least a little bit of peace of mind. So Anthony Davis can go four years in in LA or three years on a max in LA with a little bit of comfort knowing he's going to get that 2% bump in terms of the, 30, the 30% of the cap he'll get. Uh, bad example because I know he's probably going one year anyway. But you know you know what I'm talking about. You know The guys that want it, maybe even Giannis. Giannis has peace of mind now to know that, this cap's not dumping down $10 million next year when you're right. set to get 30% of it or 35% of it. So I think they had to do it in the NBA because of that, because of the fact that max contracts are tied to that salary cap directly. That's unique. Right. That's completely yes. unique. So, well, there's a little bit of that in hockey, but complete anomaly, obviously. So to me, that's, the, that's what happened here. That's why we know what we know with the NBA. But also, I think it's good business. I think it's good business for baseball. And you mentioned the NFL – no, there is nothing set in stone in terms of a CBA agreement that says this is what's going to happen. But they did do it with player revenue share. There is a set plan for the first seven years, the last three years of their CBA of how it's going to inc- increase in terms of what the players are going to earn off of revenue, and they've kind of held true to but t- right about ten million increase up until the pandemic. It's just been kind of like a you know. Uh, An unwritten rule. Hey, we're we're just going to keep jumping up ten. It seems to work for everybody. It keeps our good teams good, and our bad teams can can improve. Obviously, so I think I think there was a a confidence that GMs were holding that as long as we stay on the line here, stay on track, things are going to go this way. So they could kind of budget for that. So I I do, and and also smart with the NFL not having those numbers out there, so that now they have to backtrack on them. You know what I mean? Now any kind of change is just it's a regulatory change. It's something obviously we all understand. Versus, you know, a team like the NBA, a league like the NBA, where they had 116 million dollar projection out there already, you know, now they're backtracking. Now they're splitting that up over three years, essentially. So um, every every league sort of has their own secret sauce. Uh, you know, I worry about baseball, but uh, if baseball had five years left in their CBA, I'd be mortified for them because I, I don't. I think they're a sinking ship in terms of their current model, and so much has to change. We've talked about it obviously last week. They're going to have the opportunity now to, to roll COVID pandemics, n- not having fans right into their new CBA. They can kind of be the, the front runner to build a document that includes safety and coverage for this now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that the NBA, you know, projecting out the cap and saying what the minimum essentially will be is instead of taking 40% or 35% of escrow in this year they've sort of spread it out over two years so that that could help some players but like you said with free agency players are going to think knowing that all right maybe i'll only sign the one-year deal and then get full amount in 2022 or vice versa you know they're not getting um all of it taken out because they're staying neutral right now
1: because it's neutral yeah
0: yeah, I mean, th- think of some of the... Uh, like do you, do you think that Scott? Do you still or? think
1: the, the free agency is going to be a bunch of one-year deals? Because that's kind of what we projected a couple of weeks ago on the show. Is that still where your head is? Or, or does any of this news sort of change that a little bit?
0: I think... No, I still think that it's going to be a lower, de- lower years. I think it helps knowing what the next... Two to three years will be so. Maybe we'll have more longer-term deals. Maybe some guys don't care because. Yeah. I was thinking like a Fred the, Van the salaries, Fleet. like he
1: he couldn't be higher right now. Like he's going to get right. his five-year, four or five-year deal right now. You know what I mean? Like the, he's not going to nickel and dime over a, a, a minimal cap increase. If he if somebody wants to pay him a four-year deal close to max, he's taking it, right?
0: Yeah, the the salaries are so high at this point that you know. Right some of those guys i mean going from 30 million to 25 million yeah to us 5 million is a, a ton of money but to them maybe it it, it, I, it probably it, it hurts them a little bit in the fact that you have to pay your agent fee wh- depending on what state you're in and dealing with taxes and all that so the 5 million may mean a lot to them at, at that point but you know knowing that where the cap is we can sort of accurately project what the maximums are going to be in the next two, three years, and teams can budget accordingly, whereas we're usually saying, all right, next year is going to be at 115, but it's really only going to be at 111. So if you're projecting that 2021 cap space, you have a way more uh, better – account of your money at that point to push for the Giannis, like we talked about, or any of those other free agents. All
1: right, let's finish with Giannis then. What what can Giannis do now in this new cap regime? S- either signing an extension this year, I guess, or waiting? Waiting it out? Wh- wh- where is he financially now?
0: Yeah, the su- super max, uh, 35% of next year's cap 2021 would be uh, t- five-year $226 million. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so and if he, went
0: to a, if he went to another team, I think he's still at 30%. And so it would be, um, if you went to another team, be around four years, $144 million.
1: All right. So we, we're learning more. We're starting to get some concrete numbers. There's still some more to come. We do think an agreement will be fi- figured out this week, probably, in terms of finances. We do think trades are going to open up this week in terms of like the at least the ability to discuss them and agree on them. So we're here. I mean, th- this is the NBA offseason, and this is, this is what we know. And this is really the only thing you need to know about the NBA in 2021. John Wall the highest average played player in the league. That's all you need to know. I mean, wh- that's how crazy this crap is right now. So I'm not saying they, they deserve to make less. Nobody deserves to make less than what they were originally were agreed to pay. But I think there's some wiggle room in the NBA. <laughs> I think it's what we take away from this. There's some wiggle room because of that sure. 2016 balloon. All right, let's f- rapid fire, Scott, through a couple of non-big sports, you know, non-money sports here. We track NASCAR. You've been real close to NASCAR here for a while. We had a big, big, uh, a gigantic name walk away from the sport yesterday. Gracefully, uh, you know, with as much class as he, as he came, in, came in with, seven-time champion Jimmy Johnson. Lay it out for me. What do you know about him?
0: Yeah, like I said, seven-time champion, eighty-three wins, which is sixth all time. He had six hundred and eighty-seven races that he participated in the in the Cup Series. Mm-hmm. Um, on-track earnings, uh, prize pool eighty-six million dollars, and then if you include bonuses, uh, one hundred and fifty million. Now this is through two thousand fifteen. Uh, th- these are. Uh, you know, NASCAR changed their pay structure mm-hmm. in 2016, so we don't have the last five years of uh, track earnings. But through that point, like I said, $86 million on track and then $150 million with on track plus his bonuses that he had earned. Yeah, I think it's um, safe
1: to say he's pr- he probably had about 125 the, with these last five years built in based on yeah, what I was able to read. So, you know... It's good coin for a long career. Obviously, he made a lot more in terms of endorsements and all that as well. I mean, (laughs) one of the most endorsable guys out there, one of the most endorsed athletes out there, to be honest. I mean, he held that low sponsorship, scout for what, 12 years? I mean, (laughs) forever. And you kind of knew when they bailed that, you know, the end was coming for Jimmy. But that's a it's just one of those things, you know.
0: Yeah, but we talk about dynasties. And, yeah. I mean, there you he go. had a dynasty. He had a dynasty from 2006 to 2010, five straight years there of winning the championship. And then he hit it again in 13 and 16. And he's tied with Dale Earnhardt and Richard Petty for, you know, seven total championships. Uh, and he's not done. His next stop is he, he has signed a two year deal with, uh, chip Ganassi racing to go play in, in racing in Indy car. Okay. So, so he's not, he's not going away.
1: I, I know you probably can't speak for him, but is this just, I love the drive. I want to do this. Or, yes. is, I mean, it's I, obviously not about money. So
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it is. He, it's about, about loving to drive. He was on a podcast I listened to and he, he was all about um, he's been driving these different kind of cars um, leading up to knowing that this was coming So he's been testing these things out, and then it just worked out that he was able to come up with a a contract deal with Hmm. um, Chip Ganassi Racing, and he's going to do IndyCar. Two-year deal. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. All right, so you you mentioned, Scott,
1: that the sport really changed their money structure, and I know know we don't have a firm handle on really what, what it is now. But after I read quite a lot about this because, I, number one, I was upset that we couldn't keep the, the money information on our site. I, I, it was an awesome system to have kind of hashed out because the point system, the way they changed the playoff structure and all that, it's really interesting. And it's something you have to keep up with every single week if you're a fan. So what, what I kind of took away, maybe mostly took away, is that they got into a little bit of trouble. And they, they stopped hitting as you know the projections. Maybe some of those bigger sponsors pulled out, like we just kind of mentioned with Lowe's. It was actually right about that time. Is it a, is it safe to say that they kind of felt they had to safeguard themselves with that? You know, they were giving away too much money to the champion. That I mean that that changed drastically. <laughs> Jimmy Johnson's on record saying my 2016 championship pay was five six million less than what I made in 2008 which obviously that shouldn't be the case if it's a league that continues to grow, you know, the PGA kind of did this too, but in the reverse where, you know, you never really, there was never one big high payment in PGA golf. Even the masters wasn't that big, you know, but then they brought in this FedEx sponsor in the playoff system and you get $10 million to walk off the 18th hole with the win for the FedEx cup. So they went in the reverse and kind of made it that, you know, all the cards ride on November golf it sounds like NASCAR went the other way and they sort of filtered the money back out into the individual races, but also made it a lot more team oriented, right? In terms of, you know, you know right. we're not paying one driver, you know, $40 million just because he's Dale Earnhardt Jr. anymore. That's not going to happen. We've got to bring a little bit more parity to the sport. We've got to give more teams an opportunity. And, you know, my, my guess is this, and correct me any, anytime you want. My guess is they looked at a guy like Jimmy Johnson and Dale Earnhardt Jr. and said those guys can go make their own money anytime they want. They are the, they are the most marketable people in our sport and maybe in all of sports for a lot of a lot of regions. If they want to go to Papa John's, you know, and say, hey, I, I need a I need a sticker on my car and it's worth a million dollars. That's basically what Dale Earnhardt was able to do. Earnhardt Jr. was getting a million dollars per sponsor on his car. You know, when, when NASCAR looks at that, you know, the likeness of Dale Earnhardt Jr., which is topical right now and says, you don't even need us. You know, you don't need our payments. You're doing just just fine. We had this discussion about Alex Morgan and U.S. women's soccer, Scott. United States soccer doesn't even pay Alex Morgan that much. That's why she's got to bounce around. The NWSL, the league, just to play here, because they know that her likeness is worth, and this is obviously a terrible example because she's certainly not being paid what she deserves, but it's the whole likeness factor, and we're going to get into that with college sports here soon enough. My guess is they looked at those big players and said, go make your money you know, go do some marketing of yourself. You're going to get your millions. We got to draw it back so that we can spread the wealth a little bit. Any of that you Think you think on or off?
0: Yeah, I do. I And I think from everything I know, the new pay structure is more linear. So if you are in 39th place, you're making less and then it scales up in a linear fashion up to if you win the race before it used to be like a tiered. So mm. if you're you're your stars, even if they ended up in the 30s in a race, they were potentially making more than a, a driver that ended up in the top 10 that was in like a tier four or whatever. So the, 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 if you go and look at the old salaries, you can see where racers were making more, even though they crashed and they were out, because they wanted to pay to have those stars in those races. But now it's more linear, And it's to create more parity in in their sport. They want to have teams in there. And it was also part of the new charter system that they had. So the new charter system guarantees that 36 Cup teams earn a certain amount of the revenue plus the earnings from the races. So you're you're filtering more cash into those other teams to allow them to uh, compete throughout. Uh, Denny Hamlin, he came out and he was vocal back when this first happened and he he wanted the money disclosed. He didn't understand why we weren't disclosing the um, We're with you, Denny. The the pay the 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 earnings. And I I would love to see it too. I mean I've seen some estimates there and um but I I think I think it has created more parity. Because um, it just sounds one, like those
1: startup leagues that are afraid to disclose information because they don't want people to know it's not as good as it used to be. Is well, that wrong?
0: Maybe, but w- one of the one of the uh, podcasts I listened to, they they did a an account that even my buddy who's been listening, who's been in NASCAR for you know listening and watching for years. Um, he found it interesting, too. If you were watching some of the back of the, some of those races, the drivers that were driving for 31st place or 30th place, they, it was a race inside of the race because the fact that you were going up to 30th me, meant that those teams earned that much more money, and that much more money could have bought more tires or any of that kind of stuff. Um, so you have those bottom teams that are usually, you know, they're 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 fighting for the money because they want to keep earning just even if it's ten thousand dollars, you know, they're they're fighting for every nickel and dime that they can, and we don't get to really see that in the broadcast because they're they're focused on the front, but there are those you know races within a race in the back that means something to those teams financially. Um, and subsequently those teams that are in the back, they're purchasing tires during the race from other teams that have right. already used their tires. So they're, they're trying to be as efficient as possible. And I think having that linear pay structure for payouts that helps for those back teams. You see them trying to jockey for position mm-hmm. because they know going into it, what, what the payout is going to be as opposed to you. you, it's, you make it 30 it's a really point, good still, point. It, it, it as as it's a really good point, Scott. It jades the race.
1: It's a really good point, man. Um, yeah, it does. Look, if you trailed off here, because we're talking NASCAR, if you're an analytics person, if you're a tech person, if you're into that kind of geeky stuff with these other sports, uh, NASCAR is right up there. A- am I incorrect, Scott? I mean, it is. They track everything. everything. And oh, by the way, everything. that stuff is not withheld. You can watch a race, especially online, and see oh, in-car there, information yeah, that you can't believe is, I mean, I mean that part of it is, is outstanding. It's truly outstanding and really neat to watch and really cool to stay, keep up with. And there's a couple of really good nerdy websites out there that track a lot of this data and analyze a lot of this stuff from a driver perspective and all that. That whole world is NASCAR. You know, NASCAR can be rudimentary and old school and, and you know, Bump and grind kind of racing that still exists too to some degree, but man, has it taken a modern step forward with technology?
0: Oh, absolutely! And their their app is phenomenal. You can do side by side comparison in real time of drivers that you want. You can listen in on driver radios if right. you want to listen in straight up. I mean, they're tracking every lap, every down to. Teams are keeping track of other teams of when they pit and how much gas they probably have just yeah. so that they know when they need to pit. Um, yeah. The projection yeah.
1: stuff is incredible.
0: It, it is. And, and down to the finances, like I just said, those back teams are nickel and diming because they're paying for tires within the race. So it's, it's gamesmanship all across throughout the race, um, throughout the week uh, leading up to it, tinkering with their cars, doing what they can, to, to have the most efficient, and we're NASCAR is sort of transitioning into it, it's, its next phase here in the next two years, where you've got the, the Gen 7 car coming in 2021, you've got um, new, new drivers moving up, you've got new teams coming in. You have new schedule with new tracks that NASCAR hasn't had before, so you, we're in a interesting transition where um, NASCAR is doing what they can to have the parity, but also have the best um, product that they can have on TV and on. Um, Does it help that race? a twenty
1: four year old just won the Cup?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because he he is.
1: It's like a little Mahomesy, right?
0: Yeah, you're right. It is Mahomesy. He is the top driver for, you know, who everybody loves right now because of his personality. And, and he's the he son is, of a legend where he comes <laughs> and, he, and he's the son of a legend. And, and, and he's not there, There's a lot of young drivers and you see teams that are starting to shift towards those young drivers. We have a few guys that are coming up. We have Chase Briscoe, who is taking over Clint Boyer's car. You have Austin Sindrick, who won the Xfinity race. He's not coming up until 2022, but he just won that Xfinity championship. And then, you know, we have a couple female drivers who are starting to make a name for themselves between Haley Deegan and Gracie Trotter. And Deegan is going to be going full-time in the truck series next season. Uh, so you have some females that are starting to come up, sort of like we had Dana- Danica Patrick switch over into NASCAR. So that that's a good... Um, yeah, good you, stuff. We've got a lot of different things. Yeah.
1: Good luck, Jimmy Johnson in the IndyCar. It's that's terrifying. <laughs> IndyCar is terrifying. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to the most important part of the show. Obviously, we lost Alex Trebek yesterday. Um, you know, not super surprising, but terrible all altogether. You know, we wouldn't be doing the spot track show if we weren't be talking about his career financially speaking, and and in terms of data. So lay out lay out some numbers, and then I've got a, a problem to bring up. Afterwards, go ahead.
0: All right. So Alex Trebek, he earned um, about ten million dollars a year, which is approximately forty three thousand dollars per episode. Um, That's A-Rod Some Rod sites money. say some some sites say he's upwards at eighteen million per year, seventy eight thousand per episode. But most said around ten million. So we'll go with the ten million. He he had ten or over eight thousand episodes over three decades he's won uh numerous emmy awards um but he he started in 1984 so you know quite a run he changed the game show landscape uh with what he has done with jeopardy and you know looking back i i pulled up some numbers from two uh from 1984 and back then magic johnson was earning two and a half million dollars. Mike Schmidt in, in major league baseball was making just under $2 million. Warren moon, um, was making around $3.7 million.
1: Yeah. Those are the so, highest salaries in sports at that time. Right?
0: Yeah. It, it puts it in. We don't have what he made back then, but I mean, it sort of puts it in perspective, what those, uh, athletes were making as opposed to what we just talked about with Jimmy Johnson in and, the NBA salaries that are now. Um, but yeah, a a landscape changer in the game show industry and, um, will be missed for sure.
1: Okay. Here's the problem I have. Everything you said is correct. It sounds like he made about 75 million for those who care about that stuff. Uh, you know, that's incredible. 10 million a year, you know, at least recently is the report. Look, Jeopardy! is, you know, it ain't spin a wheel and pick a letter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay? I mean, he's reading some legit stuff every day. He is. And he and understands he. every question. He's able to yep. comprehend. He's able to, He knows before... He doesn't have to look at anybody to understand if somebody has maybe said something incorrectly or, or answered a little weird. He's on top... This guy's been on top of it forever, for forever. for 25 Pronun- plus years pronunci-
0: here. Yeah. Pronunciations, everything.
1: Pat Sajak makes fifteen million dollars a year. Vanna yeah. White makes ten million a year. Yeah. What the hell are we doing, America? <laughs> All right. You know what? Give Vanna White the ten because at least she's moving. All right. At least she's like <laughs> prom- getting the game going a little bit. Pat Sajak doesn't do it. He literally points at somebody. Your turn. Fifteen million for that. Your turn. What are we doing here? I know. Alex Trebek. Has like educated the entire world for two, two and a half decades. I mean, we all watch it around dinner time and learn, we at least learn something that we don't know. We know we we mostly know none of it, but he's on top of it. He's making ten. He's making ten, and Pat yeah. Sajak is making fifteen. Yeah,
0: you're right. That what is are we fun. doing? Yeah.
1: Somebody better say this at at the eulogy. You were great, but you didn't get paid enough. You got screwed, man. <laughs> He got screwed. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Good stuff. My thanks to The Athletic. Check out the slash spotrack for 40% off your first year subscription. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast.